0: I don't know about you, but I'm expecting a strong, timely word through our pastor. So let's turn our faith on for utterance for him.
1: Who can say, Amen? Jesus is amazing. Well, it is good to be together with you, together with other parts of the body of Christ, because none of us have the whole thing ourselves, right? You are not the whole enchilada. But you're a part of it. And that's the good news. In fact, before I begin here, let's go over to Ephesians. I'm gonna we're gonna be looking at Romans chapter eight, but I just sense the Lord direct us to begin in Ephesians chapter one. And we'll start in in chapter one and verse three. We've been looking at Romans for a while now, and we've been going through it kind of verse by verse and spending a lot more time on some verses and some sections of it. And um, we looked at how in chapter 7, life under the law is contrasted with chapter 8, life by the Spirit. And if you were not here with us and did not hear the last two weeks' messages, please go online and listen to them. We have had uh, I've had so many people come and tell me that, hey, you know, that was... I've never understood Romans 7 and 8 that way before, and, and that was life-changing for me, and, and there was people that were set free in that. So if you did not hear that, go back and listen to the last two weeks, and you'll be so blessed by taking in the Word of God in, in rich form. All right, in Ephesians chapter 1, let's begin here in verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. You notice that's past tense? Yeah has blessed us, it's already taken place, it's already happened, but that doesn't mean that we've taken delivery of it. See, I'm getting ahead of myself here, I'm not, because this is how the Lord's wanting me to bring it out right now, so later we'll come back, we'll circle back to it. <laughs> Some of you laugh because, well, if you know, you know. <laughs> but if I went down to the store, and I walked in there and I bought an expensive gift, right? Right? I bought something that you really like. It's really expensive. And so I go in and I pay for it, but I don't take delivery of it. They just give me the receipt. It's paid for. And now I come to you and I give you the receipt. I have purchased this gift for you. But that doesn't mean that you have received the gift. What you have is the right to the gift. Understand? So no one cares about the receipt. You're not after the receipt. You don't want the receipt. But the receipt Is talking about something that belongs to you. And so you don't, even though it's purchased for you, it's not redeemed until you go down to the store and give them the receipt and redeem the value or redeem the object that was purchased for you. Are you understanding? All right. So blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, past tense, with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. That's so amazing. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. I've had people ask me, when when did you get saved? And I tell them, before the foundation of the world. They don't know what to make of that. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestinated us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ Christ. For Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He has lavished on us in the Beloved One. Now, just because we're predestinated to glorify Him and to be with Him doesn't mean we will be. There's our free will that now comes into play. He's predestinated. It's His will that none should perish. So everyone has been designed, predestined to be with Him. But that doesn't mean everyone goes and redeems their ticket. In verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known, someone say, "It it is known. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, and the gospel of your salvation when you believed. See, that's when it comes to pass in you, when you believe. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of His strength? He exercised this power in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Someone say, he's my head. I'm his body. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship. Or the ISV translation says, we are His master plan. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now go over to Romans chapter 8. You know, Scripture says that the Word of God is quick and sharp and powerful. And that it divides us. Even spirit and soul and, and joint and marrow and bone and like it's able to get in and dissect and divide and bring truth and revelation to places where it wasn't previously. And so what I'm going to, what I'm, well let I tell you, let's do this. Stand up with me and um, let's just take a moment and pray. And let's allow His Word to have full reign in our heart, in our life, here tonight in this place. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us your word. And Father, we look into your word and we read. And, and Lord, I'm asking you to give us understanding of what we're reading and seeing. Father, give us illumin, illuminate what we read. Give us revelation. That we might have eyes to see the truth and, and a heart to receive it and understand it and, and, and the know-how to go out and put it into practice in our life in these coming weeks and in this coming season. Father, I thank You that You have entrusted Your Word to us and that You have given us Your Holy Spirit as a down payment as of what is to come on the inside of us. and We just invite You by Your Spirit to have full reign, free reign here tonight. That You have full access to us by Your Word, by Your Spirit. And that all that You have in Your heart to accomplish tonight in this place, in this room, we say, so be it, Lord Jesus. Have Your way and Your will in this room tonight. I thank You, Lord, that every plan, everything that You have in Your heart for us, we just we set our faith for those things to come to pass tonight in us. And the realization that You are with us. And that you have, have set yourself inside of us and given us your identity. And we bless you for this. We thank you for this. You are awesome, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And amen. amen. Alright, you may be seated. So in Romans 8, we're going to start our examination or, or, or t- breaking it down verse by verse starting in about verse 17. But... Just because reading the Word of God is so much fun and so powerful, let's start back in verse 1, read down to that place, and then we'll start going from there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, hallelujah, for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their mindset on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. you however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead, that's past tense, because of sin. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life, Through His Spirit who lives in you. Look at your neighbor and say, did you know that Christ lives in you? you. So then, brothers, sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with him. Yay, we get to suffer. Oh, that wasn't where you thought I'd go, huh? Put up First Peter four twelve on the screen. First Peter four twelve. We're going to look at several several scriptures here. I'll have you go to several up on the screen, and then we'll come right back here to Romans eight. First Peter four verse twelve. Dear friends. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. You know, when the hard time comes, don't be shocked. Oh, no, what's happening? I mean, hard times of COVID shocked a lot of people, right? Because we didn't see in the natural realm that some things could go south so fast, right? In the spiritual realm, we're not shocked that we have opposition, but sometimes because of the absolutely amazing country that we've lived in and the things that we have just begun to take for granted, right? We, we don't live in persecution like what they were living in when he wrote the book of Romans, right? When Paul wrote that, there was a the threat of death hanging over their head, literally for serving the Lord. And so we've become so accustomed to having it just amazing, right? So then when hard times come, we end up we're like, "What? wow, never saw that coming, I mean, what's happening next week? You know, we started, anyhow. So look back up at verse. So in verse 13, instead of being shocked, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. Verse 14. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because of the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you face any kind of suffering for the cause of Christ, you are blessed. Now, is that poetry? Not exactly. I mean, maybe it rhymes in Greek or Aramaic or whatever it was written in. But it doesn't rhyme in English, right? So it's not poetry in that sense. It's not just something, you know, some hoorah that they wrote down to make us feel nice. But if God says we're blessed, that means he's, you have His favor on you. That means He's on your side. That means if you take any kind of flack for His name's sake, He's like, I'm right there with you. And man, this is stacking up. It's adding up for your favor. So we don't earn His favor. He's given us His favor. But when you walk in obedience to Him and now you face suffering because of it, Oh, man, it just turns the spigots in heaven open for you. but you've got to be steadfast. All right? Put up Acts 14, verse 22. Acts 14, 22, talking about suffering. Some time ago, I did a whole sermon. I, don't, I can't tell you the date to go back and be able to listen to it, but it's on the website. So if you go back and, and just listen to, like, the last four years of sermons, you'll find it. Um, <laughs> that'd be good for you, too, you know. And um, But what you'll see, or uh, there's a sermon back there about suffering. The whole sermon was on suffering and how that if you want to walk with the Lord, you're going to face suffering and you're going to face persecution. And if you really want the gifts of the Spirit to operate in your life and you want the blessing of God to be shown in your life, what you are saying is you're going to be persecuted. That just comes with the territory. Here in, in Acts 14, verse 22, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue the faith and by telling them, this is what they were telling the disciples. It is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Many troubles. Like, this isn't exactly refrigerator verses, is it? You put this up on your mirror and you go, praise the Lord, I get to face many troubles today. Alright, put up uh, John. John 16, verse 13. This is what Jesus said to the disciples. Many of you could probably quote the verse. John 16, 13 he was nearing the end of his ministry and he he takes the disciples aside and he says this to them. When the spirit of truth comes, that's a great verse, but that's not the one that I had in mind. Um, So let's go to the end of the chapter, maybe the last two verses of chapter 16. Um, The next verse. Maybe that's the last verse. There we go. I have told you these things. He said how they were going to have some problems. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. So Jesus promised it. You will have suffering in this world. Now it's going to be for the cause of Christ. It's not going to be suffering because they were stupid. Right? There's a difference. Sometimes we hatch up our own bad plan and suffer because of it, but that's not suffering for Jesus. You know, whenever we go on, on some missionary trip, and we're over there and maybe we sit down at a restaurant or we do something nice while we're there. We laugh and we look at each other and we say, we're suffering for Jesus. Because <laughs> that's not suffering at all, right? So what's he talking about? You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have, I have conquered the world. I have conquered the world. Later we're going to read about you are more than conquerors. You know why we're more than conquerors? Because he did the conquering, but we get to have the possessions. He did the winning, but we get to take the land. And have all the good things of the kingdom. That's more than a conqueror. All right, come back to Romans chapter 8. Now let's look at verse 18. Speaking of suffering. We're we're co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. In fact, in Timothy, I believe it says that all who would live godly will suffer persecution. Here in Romans 8, 18. See, the great thing about this is he he mentions these things. In the next number of verses, he talks about moving from groans into glory. And how all of creation is waiting for this and for the sons of God to be revealed and for the whole planet's redemption to come to pass. You know, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and the old heaven and the old earth, it says they're going to melt with fervent heat. I always laugh. I was telling my kids the other day, we were looking out seeing a rainbow. It's like two days in a row, and there's a beautiful rainbow outside the house. And, and, and we stood there looking at it and saying, you know, God sees that. And He remembers that He's not going to flood the earth, right? Because He said that when, when you know, in, in Genesis, that when I see my bow, I will remember the covenant that I will never again destroy the earth by water. And then I said, and then he, then he says, but I'm going to do it with a fire. That's what Hebrews says. It's going to melt with fervent heat. So there's going to be global warming on a scale that they haven't even <laughs> talked about. But the good news is, is there is coming a new heaven, a new earth, that we're going to get to be a part of and, and, and all of that. And so, this part of Romans that, he, that we're in right now in chapter 8, he's come into life by the Spirit, living in the power of God, and now he mentions these groanings and this suffering, but at the end of the chapter, he really like, starts to get sassy with the devil. Sassy with all these troubles and trials that are coming at him. And I mean, Paul could write about a lot of these things. If you've read 2 Corinthians, he lists off a list in 2 Corinthians 10 that is like, wow. That would have killed anyone else. In fact, I think it probably did kill him a time or two. And he, he came back to life. At one point it says they left him for dead and the disciples gathered around him and, and then he got back up. So, I don't know what all exactly went on there, but in about another 250 years we can all get together and talk about what it was because we'll probably know. We'll know as we are known. Why did I say 250 years? That way it for sure includes all of us. Verse 18, for I consider, Paul Paul could say this, man, he could say it from authority. He could say it from a place of, I've went through some hard things. I've suffered some things. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. They don't even compare. They're not even worth measuring over against. The glory that is going to be revealed to us. The glory that's going to be revealed to us. Put up 1 John 3, 1 and 2. 1 John 3. You're going to be busy on that uh, that screen tonight. I'm going to keep having you put scriptures up, so stay on your toes. 1 John 3 and verse 1. Look at how great a love the Father has given us. That we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Verse 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now. See, we're not waiting for it to happen. We are right now. And what we, we will be has not yet been revealed. There is a glorification coming that we're going to be a part of that we don't, we don't even know about yet. I mean, there's some few things, a shadow of some things mentioned in Scripture about what's coming. But what we read tonight in Ephesians in chapter 2, he said it's going to go through the ages. He's going to reveal His kindness and His goodness to us. And so it's going to take a long time for Him to be able to, for us to fully grasp the glory that how we've been glorified. And he says what what we're going to be has not been revealed yet. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see him as he is. Now, you and I have been given. We've been given a deposit of what's coming. Your spirit has been born again. That part's not getting any further redeemed than it is right now. You've already taken possession of the possession. Right? You've already taken. He's given the, he's, he's purchased you. And you have taken possession of your born again spirit. That part's not getting any more redeemed. It's as redeemed as it will ever be. But your body, right, your flesh and bones, that's not been redeemed. It's been purchased. It's been paid for. But you haven't turned the ticket in yet. You haven't received the new body yet. That day's coming. So back here, um, actually put up 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17. Now if we would read earlier in 2 Corinthians 4 in this chapter you would see that Paul says, man, we had it rough. I mean, I'm telling you, we were knocked down, but we weren't knocked out. And and he just goes through and he he talks about the difficulties that they had faced. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, he makes this statement. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. I mean, there's so much in that verse, it is ridiculous. Look at that. He says, the hard times that he'd been going through. Suffering, 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 suffering. He says, "Oh, it's momentary light affliction. It's nothing. Well, it's true. And since the time, today, Paul looks back at those times, almost 2,000 years ago, And goes, that was nothing. Right? It's just momentary, a, a faded memory. Maybe it's not faded, but it's a memory. Right? Versus where he is right now and what is going on for him right now. Our momentary light affliction. If we would just take this approach, this viewpoint of our life and the things that we deal with and the struggles that we face and any kind of suffering that comes our way, if we'll take this viewpoint on it, it'll solve a lot of the problems that it'll make so you don't need a lot of counseling. A lot of counseling comes because people end up messed up, right? Because now they need help to figure out because they were too in the moment. They, were, they couldn't see the forest because they were standing so close to the trees. But taking a little bigger bird's eye view of it, backing up, and being able to see the big picture... Is what he's talking about. And he says, this, oh, this tiny suffering is nothing. It's producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal, it's not going to quit, weight of glory. Man, I mean, stacked up, backed up, it's not even comparable to what's going on. Just amazing. Now come back to Romans 8. I'll read verse 18 again. <clears throat> I consider that the, now remember, he has just walked through Romans. Let's keep context here. He He has written to them and he explained that, you know what, Gentile and Jew alike need a Savior. And that Abraham was the father of our faith. And he details, he brings that full forward to where Jesus has given us entrance into the kingdom. And then he talks about trying to live a righteous life on our own under the law. And how the law just reveals our need of the Savior. And then the power-filled life is what he just talked about in Romans 8. And so now he begins to talk about this suffering. And he's like, but guys, it's nothing. This eternal weight of glory is going to be amazing. Keep the right perspective. In fact, back in the verse, we we went away from it too quick. That's all right. If we would have read just another verse or two, Paul said, We don't look at what is seen, but we look at what is unseen. Eyes set on a different picture entirely. What is unseen? All right, here in verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing, not even worth my time to mention it with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Whatever problem you're facing right now, ask yourself the question, is this going to matter to me in 10 years? Will this be something that I look back to in 20 years from now and care about? It'll help straighten things up. I remember something happened once that, I mean, it seemed like there was a demonic arrangement against me, of offenses, and people just trying to hurt me, is what it seemed like. It was a number of years ago. And, man, things hurt. And so, one day I'm asking the Lord about this, and He asked me, He said, Will, in ten years from now, will this matter? I don't even know if I'll remember this in ten years. Well, then, forget about it. Right? Walk right. Keep your perspective right. If it's not going to matter in 10 years and 20 years from now, it probably doesn't matter much today either. Verse 19. For the creation... Now this is not talking about people. This is talking about, I believe, the planet, the animals, the creation. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. This word eagerly Awaits with anticipation. The literal meaning is that the neck, their neck is stretched out and their head is leaned forward, eagerly waiting and anticipating. I mean, for example, we, last week I talked about driving and speeding, so I might as well just stay in the same vein. You know, when you're at a stoplight, maybe that when you were young and dumb, right? And you were at a stoplight, and your friend or someone else is at the stoplight beside you, and they're revving up over there, and you know that when the light turns green. It's going to be a race to the speed limit. See? Things are changing, right? I remember we had a guy growing up, and he, he worked at the mechanic shop and up the road from us, and he belonged to our church. He was like, he would not speed, but he loved to race. So he would race from zero to the speed limit, and it was great. Anyhow, so you're there at the stoplight, and uh, the light is, is, is red, and you know the light's going to turn green just any moment. And you're watching, you're watching, you're watching, you're waiting, 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 so I can go and beat this guy. Well, you have eager anticipation. Man, it's got your energy, it it absorbed your attention, you're leaned forward, you're ready for that light. Now, in Turkey, you have an advantage. See, that wasn't so long ago. In Turkey, you have an advantage because the light goes from red, yellow, green. Warns you it's getting ready to turn green, right? So you can really gear up for this thing. Whereas here, you just have to wait until it turns green. That was just, just for anyhow. Some of you are like, I don't know, man. This is just out there. All right. So the creation is eagerly waiting. Man, They're just think of a little child. Maybe this will minister more to you. A little child that when you open the door and your little one comes running to you with arms outstretched, Daddy, Mommy, right? Eager anticipation. That's what that is. That's the intensity of what he's talking about. The creation is eagerly waiting for the God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. But because of him who subjected it, Adam. So remember, creation was given to Adam. Have dominion over it, rule it, it's yours. Then he sells it out. and So all of creation goes into bondage with Adam. But when the spirit of Adam got redeemed, mankind is what I'm talking about, when the spirit of mankind was redeemed and that was restored, our bodies weren't redeemed. Now they were paid for. Healing was paid for. We know all of that is included in atonement, right? But our resurrected bodies have not, we've not yet taken possession of those. As well as the new, the new earth is a type of that new body that you're going to have. The whole thing is going to be very much alike, but, but new and better and supernatural All right, it says uh, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay. I mean, just look around. Everything decays if you just leave it alone long enough, right? It begins to rust or decay or or mold or whatever. Bondage to wrinkle. To decay into the glorious Freedom of God's children. For we know. Actually, I'm going to read before we go further. Um, I'm going to just read a couple verses to you, if you would, on the screen. Find Second Peter three thirteen, and I'm going to read a couple verses to you from Isaiah. Isaiah eleven six through nine is what I'll read to you. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the young lion and the fattened calf will be together. And a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit. And a toddler will put his hand into the snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Isn't that amazing what's coming? Like, that's the redemption that all of creation is groaning for. Is looking forward to. Is longing for. In 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But based on His promise. Now, this is the context is... Remember the scripture where where Peter said, he said, hey, Jesus isn't delaying his promise of returning. God isn't delaying this thing because he's he's slow. But it's so that none would perish. And then he goes on and says, but based on his promise, we wait for the new heavens and a new earth where rightness will dwell. Where just being right. Everything is right. That'll be amazing, won't it? You know, when God created the earth, He didn't create it for animals to eat each other and for us to even eat them, right? Everything was a vegetarian, all animals. This was in the beginning, right? This was His design and way of doing things. And it wasn't until the flood that mankind started eating meat, as God instructed them to. He said, now now the fear of you... People is going to fall on the animals because, well, self-preservation. They need to be afraid so they run away and live. But you're going to eat them. And then he told them the animals they could eat and couldn't eat and all of that. Well, here we have in Romans 8, speaking of that new, new creation, he says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains. Until now. Not only that. But we ourselves. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We also groan within ourselves. Eagerly waiting for adoption. The redemption of our bodies. Remember I talked about. Your body has been purchased. But you haven't taken possession of the redemption yet. Not until you get the, born, or the, uh, the new resurrected body. Is that going to happen fully. We have a down payment of it. We have a deposit that's within us about this whole thing. Put up on the screen Philippians 3, verse 21. I remember when speaking of groaning in bodies, the decay. When ours, I don't remember which child it was, but they were little. And um, they went over to go sit down. And they like groaned and grunted as they sat down. And then they got up and they did it again. Like, what are you doing? Oh, they said they were being like Daddy. You know, ugh. You know, you give that groan when you sit down. See, they just see it and they begin to imitate it. Well, here we have this groaning that's going on. The whole creation is longing for this to take place. Philippians 3.21 says, He will transform the body of our humble condition. It is a pretty humble condition, isn't it? It smells if you don't wash it right it sweats it needs things trimmed and, and you know things taken care of and painted and this and that and all this different care right it is a humble body but this body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body i don't think that jesus glorified body ever smells like sweat never kind of decay that's what's coming for us How's he going to do it? By the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Hallelujah. You know, if you haven't read 1 Corinthians 15 lately, go read it. It's such an amazing, amazing chapter. You read it and you get done, and you just want to shout like you do at the end of chapter 8 here in Romans. All right, back here in Romans 8, verse 24, talking about the hope of our body's redemption, the hope of creation's redemption. Verse 24, now in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? None of you are hoping to come to church tonight, because you're already here, right? You don't hope for something that you've already taken possession of. You hope for something, you're hoping to go home. You're hoping to eat something afterwards, maybe. He goes here in verse 25, now if we hope for what we do not see, we or what you don't, don't have yet in your possession, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Hope produces patience. Hope is extremely important for your faith. And if you say, well, I need patience, what you're really saying is I need hope. Hope produces patience. And if you, you are short on patience for something, whatever the issue is, maybe it's a promise of God that He gave to you. Maybe it's a, maybe it's something, a promise like, like, for example, healing. Right, something that he gave to us at the cross, and so you're standing in faith for this healing to take for it to be realized in your flesh and bone body. Well, hope means that you're confidently expecting you're gonna. It, it's it's mine. I have it. It belongs to me. I'm taking possession of it. That's what hope will do for you. Which will if you are hoping that way, if you're expecting to receive it, means you you're patient, right? You're as patient as you need to be because it's mine. It, it's, there's not if, it's a matter of it's mine. Well, once you get to the point where you're like, well, man, I don't know. Is it ever going to happen? My patience is, you're, what, what's happening is you're becoming short on hope. See how those two are connected? And hope in the Bible, it doesn't mean wishfulness, right? It means confident expectation. It's, it's very close to faith. It's the doorway, the gateway of faith. You can't have faith without hope, just like you're not going to have patience. I'll give you an example. You're dealing with someone who's difficult, be it a child, be it a spouse, be it someone at work, you know, whatever. Just find somebody that you need patience with in real life, okay? If you're going to be patient with this individual, it means that you're expecting, maybe it's a child, you're trying to teach them something, and you're being patient with them. Why? Because you are hoping that they're going to arrive wherever they need to arrive. Right? You're trying to teach them 1 plus 1 and you're patient with them because you have the hope they're going to learn what's 1 plus 1. And maybe after like 5 hours and they still don't know what 1 plus 1 is, you might begin to lose patience. Why? Because you've begun to lose hope that they're ever going to learn what 1 plus 1 is. Okay? Hope produces patience. Verse 26 In the same way In the same way, in the same way, hope and patience. In the same way of the groaning and the taking redemption, we're hoping for redemption of our bodies and we're patient for it because we hope for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us. That word helps is the word cooperate or assist together. Helps us in our weaknesses. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. Intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So if we, confidently, in the Spirit, can pray and expect and hope, we're going to have patience for that as well, right? We're going we're gonna to hope. We're going to be impatient. And the Spirit on the inside of us is going to build us up. The Spirit of God. Well, look at uh, a few things I'll make mention of here. In the same way the Spirit is going to co-help us or, or assist together us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for. Have you ever felt like I just don't know what, how to pray for that? I don't know what I should be praying for. There's something I need to be praying, but what is it? Well, we have someone who helps us discern that. And it says, but the Spirit himself, now this word himself can be translated herself, or own self, the Spirit's own self, intercedes, some translations add in for us, um, but that's really not there in the original, just intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints, according to the will of God. Now, the common understanding on this verse is that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and I. And I don't think that's what it's saying. That's not how I understand it. Now, what I expect you to do is you always read the Word with the Holy Spirit, with the author of the book, and let Him help you rightly divide what you're reading. But for me, I believe, what I understand, what I see when I read this. See, when I became born again, He gave me the Spirit of Christ on the inside of me. My born-again spirit. And so when He gave that to me, we know from other scriptures, we'll we'll look at it here in just a moment, but Jesus is the intercessor on our behalf. Jesus is the one who intercedes for us. Some people will read this and go, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Well... Actually, no, that's not what he's saying. He is saying that he helps us in our weakness. Your spirit is praying. And in fact, in Romans, uh, not Romans, 1 Corinthians 14, it says that when I pray in other tongues, my spirit prays. My spirit prays. And that tongues, if you look in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, it says no man understands it. It's mysteries in the spirit. It's not an it's not expressible language right? It's, it's unknown tongues, is how the King James would call it. And so, when you look at your spirit praise, but the Holy Spirit co-assists with your spirit. And then what happens? Remember, if you became born again, you have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you, which Christ is the intercessor. So what happens? He says here, um, that if you don't know how to pray, the Spirit's own self intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And He, read Jesus, and let's just read it that way, and Jesus, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit. Now why would He know the mind of His own Spirit, the Spirit of Christ? Doesn't 1 Corinthians chapter 2 say that no one knows the mind of a man except the Spirit within him? Right? So the Spirit of Christ, Jesus knows What's in the mind of the Spirit of Christ? And he says here, he says, Look at this. Now, he doesn't say that, I say that. Look at this. Behold. All right. We should get back to using that word. Behold. All right. If I can find my spot. No wonder. I was trying to find in verse 23. Back to the groans. Verse 26. So, seven. So, and Jesus, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit. Because he, Jesus, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Look down in verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Jesus intercedes for us because he has put within you the Spirit of Christ when you made him the Lord of your life, and he knows what's in the mind of the Spirit. And he intercedes according to the will of God to the Father. In fact, if you look in in Hebrews 7.25. You don't need to put it up because I'll just read it to you here. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Speaking of Jesus. Since he always lives to intercede for them. Or how about um, 1 John 2 and 1. 1 John 2 and 1. See what... Um, wrong, wrong chapter. First, my little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. The, an intercessor with the Father. It's Jesus Christ. Alright? Jesus Christ. So the Spirit of Christ within you will help you know how to pray, what to pray, and not only that, Jesus intercedes on your behalf. Let's keep on reading here. Verse 28. Put verse 28 up in the NIV. All right, so verse 27 talked about according to the will of God. Everyone say according to the will of God. Verse 28 in the NIV. And the reason I say NIV is because the Holman and the CSB is just not a great translation. Many of the translations aren't real great in this verse. But the NIV does a really good job of bringing it out. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. It doesn't say that God is the one doing all things, right? God's not the one perpetrating all the evil out there in the world. And doing all things. God's not the one that is orchestrating car accidents and cancers and all these different things. Car accidents. That's not a word, but you get the, you get the idea. More than one. <clears throat> I'm really grateful for a people that have a grace to hear. In spite of the decay. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who is called according to His purpose. All things all things are working together for good. But there's conditions. There's, I see three conditions. For the person who is praying in the Spirit, and that has the Spirit of Christ in him, interceding according to the will of God... So that's the, that's first the condition, and then he goes for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. The word "love" is present tense. It's now. It's current. We know that in all things God is working. You know, God has a plan for you, and we tell people this all the time. He has a good plan for you. But you know who else has a plan for you? The enemy. A plan of destruction and death. And so, what He would like is for you to walk in His plan. But the Lord, on the other hand, has a different plan for you. And if you love Him, and you are interceding according to His will, and have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of you, and you are walking in obedience to Him, guess what? The one who has the master plan of destruction for you, God will just turn it on its head and make good come out of it instead. See, some people have the mistaken idea that well, God is in control of everything. Yeah, that's a mistaken idea. I mean, I hear it all the time. Everywhere I go. From believers. You know, this and this and this and how terrible things are. But you know what? I'm just so comforted that God's in control. Well, He's doing a horrible job if He is. Just say it like it is. If he's in control, he's got it really messed up. I can see that. You can see that. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. But being sovereign and being in control is not the same thing. I'm sovereign over my boy's bedroom. It's it's my domain, it's my house, it's in my house, it's mine. Belongs to me, I'm sovereign. But guess what? I'm not exactly in control of everything that's happening in that bedroom. Because every now and then I have to come in and put things right. Hey, do this, do that. Looks like a war zone in here. Weapons everywhere, clothes everywhere, right? So that's my point in this earth. Yeah, God created the earth, but He's not the one that is making all the things happen in the earth. He's not the one that had you eat a whole box of Cap'n Crunch. (laughs) Who did that, she asked. So no one thinks it was her. I guess we know now who it was. (laughs) Right? He's not the one making you do those things. I was one time talking as we were working up at Lewisburg at the university. And um, had this guy hired. And he was um, a reformed radical something. And he believed that everything that happened, God was in control of. So we went back and forth on this issue one day, you know, having an, an argument, but like in, with good relationship. And uh, back and forth debating this issue. That can't be. God's not in control of it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So finally, I won, or at least I shut him up by telling him, well, guess what? Since God's in control of everything, he's the one who sent me to tell you that's not true. And that ended <laughs> the conversation. We all laughed and went back to work. See, let's just make it, um, in case you're still struggling with that, that God's not in control. If God's in control, that means the sin that you committed was His will. He's the one who made you do it. So why should you be held guilty for sin? If He's the one making you do it anyway. If He just had your life designed and predestined out before the beginning of the world, that your lot in life is to be a sinner, it would be unfair for Him to judge you as a sinner now if He made you to be that way. He would now not be a just God and He wouldn't be a righteous God. You know, it's not His will that any perish, yet we know that people perish all the time. So it's very clear from Scripture that His will is not just automatically happening. God being sovereign doesn't mean His will is just automatically fulfilled. All right. Now that we got that brush out of the way. For we know that all things work together. So God is the master at turning things that were meant for harm to make good come out of them. For those who love God and who are called according to His purpose, think His will. If you're walking according to His will and when bad things come and you're, you, you stay hooked. I mean, even think of... Well, No, I'm not going to take time to go there. Verse 29. For those He foreknew, He also predestined. Now, foreknew means knowledge beforehand. A knowing before it happens. That's what He foreknew means. Those He foreknew. He knows if you're going to choose to serve Him or not. Beforehand. It doesn't mean that He created you to not serve Him if you choose not to. But for those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestinated, He also called, invited. And those He invited or called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Notice all of these are past tense. But have we been glorified yet? No. But if you are walking according to His will, according to His purpose, then it's as good as done. Now it's just a matter of patient hope. And before long, we'll see it all come to pass. And and in Ephesians we read about Predestination and what that is. The whole world's been predestined to be with him, but not everyone's going to live in that destiny because of their own choices. He has justified, he died once for all sin. That even includes the person who never served him and went to hell, their sin. They were justified if they would have taken receipt of that redemption. <clears throat> Now he begins in verse 31. Here's where he just likes summing up everything he's written up till this point in Romans. And he has, he's talked about the Spirit-led life and he's talked about this, this, this time of, of tension between groans and glory and, and what is to come. And, and now he begins to ask some rhetorical questions and some of the questions he answers by asking more questions and other questions he just doesn't answer because they don't deserve an answer because they're obvious. It's kind of like this. If I say to you, if this direction is up, what's this direction? Well, no one even needs to answer because we all know. This is a rhetorical question. We all know that if that's up, then that's down. We don't even have to say that half of the equation. So That's some of the things that's going on here. He says in verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? See, part of us, would the, the obvious answer we immediately think of is, well, the devil and his angels are against us. Yeah, that's true. But I like Paul's approach. He doesn't even consider it worth mentioning. Because it's not like God is for us and just a little lower than God. Here's the devil and his forces are, are against us. No, there's, no, there's no comparison. If God is for you, then there, it's not even worth mentioning. No one can be against you. It doesn't count for anything. It just doesn't count. All right? He goes on and he says, he, he asks a question, he answers, if God's for us, who can be against us? So he asks another question and kind of answers. He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? If he didn't withhold that which was most valuable to him, why would he withhold from you now? He wouldn't. That would just not make sense. It would be be completely incongruent with God's character. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? Notice he doesn't answer it with, well, people condemn, the devil condemns. He doesn't go down the list. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you are staying in the Spirit, there's none. Who can bring an accusation? None that count. I mean, in the courts of heaven, you have been declared right. Who, who can bring an accusation against? Who can successfully bring something to court against that? Nobody. That's why he doesn't say the devil. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Think of it this way. If you had someone with an infinite amount of money standing next to you, and they said to you, I will pay every debt And every need that ever comes your way. Any past debt, any future debt, I have it covered. I have an infinite amount of money. There's no end to it. So there's no debt that you could rack up that would even put a dent into my ability to pay that. Who can bring a $2 debt against that? See, you wouldn't even mention it. It's not worth mentioning. It doesn't compare. Because there's so much better on the other side. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised and He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or inflation, or the Democrats, or COVID, or lockdowns, or family members, or relationships that have gone bad. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Make it applicable to you. So, affliction is in distress. That covers a pretty big swath of things. Persecution, we understand what that is. Famine, that's, that's without. Hungry or nakedness, again lack. Or danger. Or sword, the threat of death. Who can separate us from the love of God? As it is written, now he's going to quote scripture. As it is written. Because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, Paul is speaking in this letter to a group of people in Rome that know the Psalms. When you just read through the letter again and again, he refers to, and you know this and you know that. So he's speaking to people that were educated in the law and in the Psalms. And so, when he quotes a line from the Psalms, they immediately know context, placement, what was going on in that psalm. So, it's much like when I say to you, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Most of you, I will fear no evil. Most of you instantly know the next line that comes. You know the psalm that's in. You could probably quote the whole psalm to me. Right? You instantly know the context and the placement for the line I'm quoting. Uh, Psalms 23. Well, that's what's going on here. He quotes a line from the psalm, but most of us don't have this psalm memorized because it's not one of the fun ones. Right? It's kind of a messed up one. Because they're like blaming God for all their problems. They start out at the beginning of the psalm. You can, if you want to read it later, you can. Psalms 44. But they start out at the beginning saying, talking about all the good things God did for our ancestors. But once it gets to us, man, God, you've really just abandoned us, and, and we're just hanging out here in the wind, and it's your fault, and all of our enemies are oppressing us, and you've just forgotten us, and you don't care, and, and it's your fault, and they're blaming God. Like you start reading in verse 9 and just read to the end, and it just goes, keeps getting worse. And then finally they're like, after this verse, the very next verse that he quote, he says, because of you we're being put to death all day long, we're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. They say, wake up God! Stop sleeping! Does this sound like accurate theology? So when Paul quotes this, he knows they have an understanding of the blame God song. And religion will take Scripture and quote it as truth, out of context, and then people go away with wrong beliefs and wrong ideas. And so apparently this was one of them that people kind of like God's in control. right? We could find a Scripture that would support that. But if you misquote and take it out of its context, or don't include other Scriptures that are the other side of that issue... So he he says, who can separate us? And he names all these things, you know. And then he, he quotes even a verse. See, as it's written. See, the devil did that with Jesus. He quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus up at the top of the temple. If you jump off, hey, Scripture says that when you jump off, the angels will hold you up and your foot won't be even dashed against the stone. See, misquoting Scripture is a religious thing. But Paul... He answers this in verse 37. He'd asked his question. Now he's finally going to give an answer. Who can separate us from the love of God? Affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. I mean, as it's written, because of you, God, we're being put to death all day long. We're just like sheep out here being slayed. No, he says. No, no, no. Uh, the King James is good for this. He says, nay. This just seems a little stronger, right? Nay, in all these things. In what things? Well, affliction, distress, persecution, suffering, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. If you feel like you're a sheep being slaughtered. slaughtered. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded. Now here's an interesting thing. I am persuaded implies at one point he wasn't. So he has now reached a point of being convinced. I am persuaded. See, being swayed means you weren't there at one point. So he says, I am persuaded. So he's put some thought into this. He's lived some life experiences. He has suffered. He's gone hungry and he's had plenty. I know what it's like to have a little. I know what it's like to have a lot, he said. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be well fed. I know how to have plenty and I know how to have lack. And he goes through this multiple times in the letters that he writes. And so he is speaking from experience. And he said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, in other words, even if I die, I'm still more than a conqueror. Because see, he has his eyes on something completely beyond this natural level and plane. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, or angels, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, or any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. He doesn't mention the past because if you are living according to everything he just wrote in Romans 8, the past does not exist for you. Your past is irrelevant. Because your past is now Jesus Christ's past. I am persuaded that death, life, angels... Demons, things present, things to come, any kind of power, height, depth, heaven or hell. Nothing created. You realize every devil, every fallen angel is a created thing. And that person that you've been having trouble with is a created being. Nothing. No, no created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where is the love of God? In Christ Jesus. Now we're back to identity. Identity. The Spirit of Christ lives in me. And how how did he say in Peter? Actually, let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we'll close there. 2 Peter 1. In fact, if someone wants to tell the the children that they can um, get ready to come up, And worship team, you can come up and take your place. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us, here it is again, who invited us, by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useful or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just jump down to verse 11. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Everything that you need to be more than a conqueror, to reign in life, that nothing separates you from the love of God, it's all available to you. You have rights to all of those benefits in the kingdom. And it's amazing. Stand with me if you would. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for giving us your family name. Thank you for adopting us and taking us from the homeless, wretched state that we were in and making us Family and giving us the garment of salvation and clothing us and feeding us with your word and with your life and with your power. Thank you, Father, that you have given everything we need to be successful in life, to be more than a conqueror, to live in victory. Thank you, Father, that you made your love. Available to us, gave us your love. You planted it within our heart, and I bless you for it. And we just rejoice now, Lord. Receive our thanksgiving this night as we bless you and praise you for these wonderful things. Behold, the green light of worship is about to change. Are you ready? spirit of the Lord, good, amazing, and sweet. Just carry that with you this week. And as you go tonight, encourage somebody, right? Thank somebody for something. Become the most thankful, encouraging person that you know. I know I've been saying this to you for several weeks now, but it takes a while to build a habit. You realize that? And, And one of the things that if you want to develop a habit, habit, tie it to a habit that you already have. If you want to develop a new habit, tie it to something you already do. Regularly. And so, you regularly, you know, whatever that be, you figure it out. But encourage someone. Find an excuse to tell off on somebody to somebody else. Something good that you noticed about that person. Let the word get around. The good report. I'm going to tell off on somebody. I'm going to tell on Sandy. You know, Sandy has just faithfully invested her gifts and her talents into the kingdom of God. Just year after year after year after year. And has just been an amazing blessing to the kingdom. Invested in kids, all the way up through adults, there's all kinds of people out there whose lives are very different because of what she has invested into them. And plus, we get to enjoy an amazing pianist, right, every week. And so, thank her for her time. For her investments, now tell her you heard. You heard that she's just amazing. Amen. The Spirit of Christ in you is lo- looking to and longing to encourage His brothers and sisters. So give expression to Him. One way we love God is by encouraging one another. All right, be blessed.
2: that music. John, thank you. (laughs) Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of this family Saturday night here at Church of the Word International. I'd like to encourage you tonight in, in our worship time, which is all the time you're here. Amen. It's not just with music. It's our whole posture toward the Father as we worship him. Psalms 29, David wrote it. And he wrote it as he was watching his sheep on the side of a mountain, and a a great big thunderstorm was coming in. And he was overwhelmed with the powerful presence of the Lord in this thunderstorm. So much so, in 11 verses, he says 25 times, Oh God! Oh God! But King James says, Oh Lord. So it says... Give unto the Lord, oh, you mighty ones. Just kind of catch his enthusiasm and his awe and his wonder as he's watching this powerful thunderstorm come in. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. And the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters. That must have been a lightning strike. Splinters the, the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like calves. Lebanon and Sharon like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. Can't you just picture the, the lightning in the sky? The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of a Kadash. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest a bear. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. And i'm thinking about how he was in awe about the creation in romans 1 7, 19 says for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that we are without excuse so what's our lesson or what can we look at in psalms 29 God is in your storms. Jesus Christ is Lord in and over and through, no matter the fury, the downpour, the wind, whatever it is you're going through. He is Lord over your life, and he will bring you through the worst of storms. So let's hold fast to the truth that God is our strength. God is our peace. God is our deliverance. God is our protection. God is our provision. God is our everything. So let's stand and worship him and praise him for the truth that he is Lord of all, even in the presence of our storms. the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through you. Father, you're our destiny. And the highway to you is praise. Praise and thanksgiving and giving you glory and honor and majesty. And tonight we gather together as a family of God with one heart, one voice of praise and honor and worship towards you father we worship you in spirit and truth tonight father we just thank you for the anointing of god in this place the anointing over the word of god as it goes forth in power and precision that it hits the mark of our hearts to bring change correction reproof a confirmation of truth that you've spoken that it's just good soil, good soil. Your word will land on good, good soil. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. And Jesus, you are so welcome, the head of this gathering. We celebrate your manifest presence tonight. We long for you to show up and come with your gifts, your touching of healing, healing the brokenhearted, healing bodies, speaking into our ears a voice a word that we need holy spirit and jesus just be here tonight with all of us you are invited and welcomed and celebrated and we long and yearn for you your manifest presence father thank you thank you for loving us so much that you love us so much you're not willing for us to stay the same but to be changed further and more into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus. And that's the longing and desire of our hearts too. That's why we've come, to be changed by you, to be loved by you, and to give you our love tonight as well. So it's a love feast. It's a love feast tonight. So just love on each other. Tell the Lord how much you love him. Turn to your neighbor, your friend, your brother, your sister, Tell them you love them, and you're so glad that you're here. This is a love feast tonight. Praise the Lord.
0: Well, good evening, everyone. Everyone, glad to be here tonight. Maybe I'll tell you uh, um, a knock-knock joke Adele told me on the way to or the car on the way to church. So, knock-knock. Orange, are you. you glad you have a church?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but isn't that the truth? Aren't you glad to be part of the family of God with believers around you that care about you, love you, you know, want to see you succeed in life? So we've got much to rejoice about. And on that note, Karen said there were seven salvations at CityGate last week. Seven yeah. salvations. Glory to God. Seven souls changed forever. Thank you for being a part of that and all that you, everyone that takes part in that. Thank you for all of that. All right. Well, we're going to um, welcome anyone that's here for the very first time. If there's someone here first time at CWI, can you just raise your hand? Can give you a, a hand clap. All right. Oh, in the back over here. Thank you for coming out tonight. We're glad you're with us. Trust you'll be blessed. All right. Uh, if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. And if you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. You know, returning the tithe is an act of obedience. Isn't that true? The word tells us to. So it's an act of our obedience, but it's also a demonstration of our trust. Trust in God. Trust that you believe He's good. Do you believe He's good? Do you believe that? you're in the kingdom of goodness. That you're in the kingdom of blessing. That's, that's who we serve, the king of blessing. It's also a test of your priorities. Do you have God first in your life? Do you put him first in your life? You know, in Mark 10, how many of you remember um, what we talked about last week, the rich young ruler? So in Mark 10, you know, one of the things that he said to Jesus he just needs a name. I mean, I, I want to, I have it in my notes here. I have R-Y-R, but he needs to be, he needs a name. Fred or George or John, I don't know, something. <laughs> it's just too long to say that. But anyways, so he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Now, he wants to, uh, he wants to know, is this man, he says, no one's good but God. So are you, are you saying I'm God. Number one, do you believe in God? Do you believe I'm the son of God? And do you believe he's good? That's the question. Do you believe he's good? Because the very next thing that Jesus had him, well, the test that was coming was what? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. Do you believe I'm good, by the way? Do you believe I'm good? Or is it, oh, no, my face falls, and, you know, it's going to be bad because, you know, I've got, it's just going to be you know, here comes that doctrine of poverty. You see what I mean? That's the, that's the lie. That's presented. It's like many well-meaning people, I believe, they, they mean well, but they camp on that. You know, Jesus said to sell everything, so Jesus wants you to sell everything. You ought not own anything. You ought not have anything because you're supposed to sell it all and give to the poor. Well, Jesus wasn't a socialist. That's not what he was asking of this guy, <laughs> You know, he, he wasn't saying liquidate and take a vow of poverty. Because as we can see in this scripture, and I'm not sure why I keep turning away from it. <laughs> in this scripture, he, he, he gave the antidote. He says, you know, he talks about how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God for those that are rich. Notice he said enter. And then he, and he says, you know, if he would have just hung with me, a hundred times more would have been his. And not just stuff, but Relationships. So turn over to, to Luke, Luke chapter 12. I just, I felt like reading this passage, I felt like it could almost, it's like this Fred, okay, Rich young Younger, Fred, you needed to hear this, hear what Jesus is saying. If you'd have just heard this, maybe, maybe you would have chose differently, you know, because do you want, do you think God wants us poor? That's the question out there. People, maybe God wants me poor. Okay, maybe not poor. But maybe he doesn't want me rich either. Maybe he wants me somewhere there in the middle. You know, just somewhere, just barely getting by. You know, I mean, after all, what did it say in Luke 6? You know, blessed are the poor. Uh Uh-uh, didn't he say that? He said, blessed are the poor. Well, in one one, one place it says poor in spirit. But in Luke 6, it says blessed are the poor. You know, he also said it's hard to enter if you're rich. What's he saying? It's really important that we get what he's saying. Why don't we finish Luke 6? It says, blessed are the poor for theirs, anybody know, is the kingdom of God. If you look at that scripture, I know I told you to turn to Luke 12, but we've got to go here. If you look at that passage where he says, blessed are the hungry for they shall be Filled, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall laugh. I mean, he gives the problem, then he says, here's the answer. Here's the problem, here's the answer. So the answer is the kingdom of God. All right, right? That's the answer. That's the antidote to poverty. That's the antidote to lack. So the kingdom of God is not supposed supposed to stay there. It's supposed to bring you out of that. Okay? So here we are, Luke 12. I just wanted to point that out. Luke 12, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Okay, this is why I said if this guy would have just been able to hang with Jesus enough to hear this, because this is what he's probably what he's thinking about, worrying about his life. If I'm going to give away, if I'm going to liquidate everything with Jesus, I got bills to pay. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Maybe he's got family. I don't know. But that's the, that was the problem, you know, to, the opportunity to worry about his life. Verse 23 says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more, say how much more, valuable, valuable are you than birds? so much more valuable than birds and yet God takes care of those who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing Wow that's a little God considers that a little thing if you can't do this little thing why do you worry about the rest consider how the wildflowers grow they do not labor or spin yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more, say how much more, much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Now, if you look up this word faith, it actually brings out you of little trust, you of little confidence. Didn't I say that that was the test? This was a test of trust to this rich young friend. He needs a name. I get my tongue twisted around it. To this guy, he needed, he, he was given this test of trust. And, and that's what this is about. He wasn't trying to have him take a vow of poverty and say, you know, you enter the kingdom of God, and it's just hard road to hoe the rest of your life for you. He wants you to trust him. You know, interesting thing. He brings out Solomon in all his splendor. You know, if God wants you poor, why did he, you know, when when he comes to Solomon and says, what do you you want from me? And Solomon says, look, I just, wisdom, I need the wisdom of God to rule. I need the knowledge of God. I need to, you know, and basically said, Lord, you have my heart. You have my heart. I can't do it without you. Any success I have comes from you. And God's like, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the wealthiest man in history. Why would you do that if you're a God that wants people to, like, boy, you shouldn't have to. you shouldn't be rich, you know? I mean, do you see what I mean? If that was God's heart, why did he do that for Solomon? Why did he exceedingly bless Abraham? We've got to break out of this thinking of thinking that somehow there is godliness in poverty. God is with you if you're there. He wants to bring you out of that. So how much more will he clothe you, you of little trust? Trust him. Be of strong confidence that he's good and that he's going to provide. And I mean, I don't care what obstacle, that house that you need, that car that you need, that bill you need paid, that whatever you need, job you need, he's going to provide. His eyes on you. You're valuable. He sees you. Verse twenty nine, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and do not worry about it. See, that's it right there. What's your heart set on? What is your heart set on? He's about that. That's the issue. Who are you? It's about a. It's who are you following? Issue, you know. So make sure that your your heart is set on him. Make sure your your heart is set on the kingdom and serving him, worshiping him. For the pagan world runs after all such things. We're not pagans, though, right? We're in the family of God. That's what they do. They don't have anybody to trust in. They just look at their own resources and abilities and think that's where their trust needs to be. So they run after all such things. Your father knows you need them, okay? He doesn't expect you to survive on just thin air. He, he knows that you got to have a car to get around and... You know, you need, you need a job. Kids need to eat. There needs to be diapers. He knows those things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. I about said first because that's where it, <laughs> what it says in Matthew. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. It's not an either-or issue. Many people think, well, yeah, you know, if you, if you seek God, well, then you just, yeah, this vow of poverty thing. <laughs> but it's not. Seek his kingdom, he knows you need him, those will come. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you hear that again? See, he said, "Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven or God." Here he says, it's, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, in, uh, in Mark, he talked about how hard it is to enter this kingdom for the rich because of trust okay so he wants to give you this answer this the kingdom of god gives you the authority over the lack the kingdom of god gives you the rule over you could say so 33 sell your possessions give to the poor provide purses for yourself that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys so economy can't touch it inflation can't touch it it can't go poof overnight it's safe why because god has an endless supply when you seek his kingdom first he's he's right there to provide your need right there to provide your need says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also it's all about the heart what's your heart set on who are you following after he it's not that he is against you being blessed he wants you blessed he doesn't want you to have that first amen all right we're in the we're in the right house well let's take a hold of our tithe and let's trust in the lord and return the tithe to him father i'm so thankful that you are trustworthy that you love us that we're valuable in your sight and that You take such good care of us, that you are a provider that we can fully, 100% put our confidence in. So, Lord, I just thank you for answers. I thank you for needs being filled, the hungry being filled, the poor being brought out. So, Lord, we just put our trust in you. We ask you for provision because you've said you're our provider, and you're so good at it. We just thank you for answers. In the name of Jesus, amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. You can still sign up for home groups. I think is that downstairs or in the back? In back lobby? Okay. In the back lobby is fall home group sign-up sheets. And next week, we're going to be having Jake Cale from Threshold here. So come expecting good, a good word through Jake.